You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Nick. It's Friday afternoon. I'm ready for the weekend. Fantastic. I can tell by the tone of your voice, you're, you're ready for the weekend. <laughs> over, over ready. <laughs> well, we got another beautiful Friday here in Michigan, so we're excited about that. And we are very excited about our special guest today. We have Miss Khadija Muta Kabir from Step by Step Financial Wellness, and she is going to help us figure out all things credit. And if our listeners remember, uh, we've been kind of doing a mini series on kids turning eighteen and what to do, and so. Some of the questions we have for you, Khadija, are around what now that my kid's 18 and is on their own and can basically sign up for a credit card or do whatever they want, how do we help them build good habits? And also, how do we help them get off on the right foot as far as credit scores go? So I guess starting at the very beginning, Khadija, what is credit and why do we need it? So that's a good question. Um, I like to always describe credit as basically like a borrowing system. Like I like to refer to your credit and your credit report as like an adult report card. (laughs) So it's basically like, you know, of course, if you're just coming out of high school, you know, with GPA, you know, your, you know, different classes and things like that. It's basically the same thing with a credit report. It's almost like keeping track of your payment history with people. Like, do you borrow money with people? Who are the people that you borrow money from? And how did you pay them back? And then your, you know, credit score is basically that rating. That's, you know, the numeric version of all of that data that's put together. So simply put an adult uh, report card. (laughs) I like that. Let's talk a little bit about credit scores. What does and doesn't affect your credit score? And I, I guess even before then, what, you know, what is a credit? What's a good credit score? What's a bad credit score? What's, what's the adult? rating system? Is it uh, A's, B's, and C's? or? <laughs> so the good thing about it is you don't have to worry about A, B, or C, but <laughs> the credit rating range, so your score can range anywhere from 300 to 850. So that's for a FICO score or a Vantage score. So 300 is, you know, kind of, I guess what we would call like an F for a bad rating. And then 850, you know, you can just do whatever you want with that. So a credit score, uh, like what factors into a credit score? You know, simply put, you know, it's paying your bills on time. So the main thing with a credit score is your payment history. So how well do you pay? Um, So, you know, how people always say, pay your bills on time, pay your bills on time. You know, that's the simple way to say, because if you pay a bill late or if you have a negative um, or, you know, like a late payment on your credit report, that can definitely bring your score down by a lot of points. But simply put, uh, if you're looking at a credit report, the things that make up your credit report um, is going to be what's considered like personal information, you know, like your name, address, your social security number. Then you have your different accounts on there, which would be considered like trade lines. They call them trade lines or accounts. And then you have inquiries, which would be, you know, when you went out to ask people for credit and they, you know, show it on there. And then they have what's called like a public record. So if you owe anybody like judgments or 
bankruptcies, things like that, that's what will be considered a public record. Now, if we're specifically talking about like your credit score, like I mentioned before, the main thing that affects your credit score is, of course, your payment history. And then how much do you owe people? So how much money do you owe people? That factors into your score. And then um, another big thing that factors into your credit score is how much credit are you using? So for instance, if you have a credit card, then um, the balance that you carry on your credit card in comparison to the limit of that credit card is another huge factor um, that I would say goes into your credit score. It reminds me of a question I think I got on the CFP exam, Dave, and that was, mm-hmm. what which one of these factors affects your credit score? And I think I was choosing between library fines or parking tickets. And I'm <laughs> still not sure if I got it right or not, but I don't know why, where the, how I just remembered that. My, my dad would remind me from my uh, younger days that parking tickets, particularly when your car is still in your dad's name, <laughs> affect, maybe don't affect your credit score, but will affect other aspects of your life. So, yeah, but, you know, Nick, you, you bring that up and it's funny because people ask us quite a bit about what affects my credit score. And mm. I've got, you know, that's not something that's, well, it's part of why we bring a special guest on for these things. So if if somebody wants to, is worried about their credit score, like what's, what are the, what are the best things they can do to improve it other than just making payments on time? Are there things to look at? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, and I and I think that is, like you guys said, a huge misconception, you know, like, oh, well, if I get a parking ticket, it's going to show up on my credit or, oh, if I don't pay DTE or consumers, it's going to show up on my credit. But the good thing about it is, you know, and I guess it's kind of the bad thing too, we don't get we don't get credit for paying, you know, regular bills that, you know, are like utilities or phone service or, you know, things like that. Those type of things don't show up on your credit if you pay them well, but they can show up on your credit if you let them go for too long. So I guess, like you said, Dave, how how do you fix your credit or how do you keep from getting negative marks on your credit? My biggest thing would be to just make sure you're aware of when bills are due. You know what I'm saying? So like if you have like, for instance, a DTE bill or consumers, you don't want to let that thing go like 90 and 180 days past due. If you know that you're going to be late or if you know you're not going to be able to pay it on time, the best thing that you can do is be proactive and reach out to you know that company and let them know, hey, I'm not going to be able to pay it this month. Can I work out something? And make sure you ask questions you know, in regard to, hey, will this show up on my credit? And if so, how long will it take before it does that? Yeah, that's really a good point. Because whether it's whether it's payments like you're talking about or just other aspects of finance, a lot of people like to um, take the ostrich approach and stick their head in the sand when they think there's yes. a problem and they're just making it worse. Yes. And yeah, so proactivity is is key. I'm curious about the other end of the spectrum, Khadija. You know, we get a lot of people that get a little wrapped up in their number and their score. I remember when I used to work at the bank, we had this lady that came in and was convinced she needed an 850 and she was at 849 and that wasn't good enough. <laughs> but like, at what point does it not stop mattering? Like if I, if I have a 750 or a 760, can I quit worrying about trying to get over 800? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You can absolutely stop worrying about it because uh, when I worked in consumer lending, the, the best credit score 
to qualify for the best interest rate was, depend on where you go, but it's usually like 720 or 740. So if you're anywhere around 720 to 740, you're going to qualify for the best interest rate. Anything after that is just kind of bragging rights. <laughs> so, you know, like people are always like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to reach the 800 club. And I'm just like, oh, you're just trying to brag. <laughs> but yeah, you don't have to be obsessed with the score because, and that's another thing too, because, you know, um, conversely, people like to think, oh, well, I have a 700, I'll automatically qualify. And that doesn't necessarily automatically qualify you either. Because again, when I was in consumer lending, we would have people who had like a 700 credit score, but then, you know, they were limited in their credit history, meaning that they didn't have enough credit history. So of course they have a 700 because they only got like one or two accounts, you know, or conversely, you might not have enough income. So your debt to income ratio might be kind of high, even though you are maintaining your bills and you still have a 700 credit score, you might not have enough income. So I think it's more important to focus on the payment history, or I'm sorry, focus on your credit history as a whole instead of just focusing on the score. Um, But to your point, Nick, um, after 740, I mean, that's just bragging rights. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned, you know, having a limited credit history as being a a restricting aspect for people. Like Nick mentioned at the beginning there, we've got uh, kind of an ongoing series for, uh, you know, getting young adults started in the world. What, where do you start if you're an 18, 19 year old? How do you, how do you start developing that credit responsibly? If unfortunately you're like me and you started credit history through getting student loans, that's, probably where most people will start. But, you know, say that you have really great, amazing parents and you don't have to take out student loans, then, you know, my suggestion would be to start with, first of all, understanding how credit cards work. I know when you go off to college, you know, everybody's trying to give you a credit card and then it's easy to take because you're like, oh yeah, spring break's coming up. I'm going to go give me a credit card. And they give you a free t-shirt usually. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yep. They're like, let's put an application in. You'll get a free t-shirt. And you're like, all right, cool. And then you're off into the sunset and you don't even have a clue that you got to pay it back. And so I think that if you're 18 years old and you're trying to learn how to build credit, the first thing that you need to do is, you know, go to the credit union or the bank or whatever that might be on campus or near campus and just ask them, hey, can can you give me some information about a credit card or how does a credit card actually work? Or, you know, I mean, we all got you know, thousand dollar cell phones at our hands. So you can just go to Google real quick and just ask like, you know, literally how to build credit or how do I start understanding credit? Um, But as far as like, if you, you know, if you're a young person trying to establish and build credit, um, I would always recommend a secure credit card. Start off with a small secure credit card, you know, like $500. You know, how a secure credit card works is, you know, you take 500 of your dollars and they'll put it on hold. And in exchange, they'll give you a $500 limit on a credit card. And you basically, you know, use that for small things like gas or food, whatever. Maybe I should have started it with saying, make sure you have a job first. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should, yeah, make sure you have income first before you do any of this. My bad. Make sure you have income because yeah, once you spend that money on that car, you'll need to be able to pay it back. And 
if for whatever reason it gets to a point that you can't pay it back, that security, that secured, you know, credit card, that $500 that you originally put on hold will be taken to pay off the credit card. So it's kind of like a, a safety net, but that's basically how you will start building credit and, and having a credit card to do that. But it, it kind of protects you versus just going out, getting like a $5,000 credit card or something crazy. And then you're getting yourself, you know, into a bind. So I hope, I hope that makes sense. I do have one follow-up question on that. So let's say I'm 18 and I go out and get a credit card. Mm-hmm. Do I need to use that credit card and then make a payment or does it, do I get credit for just having it and not using it and quote unquote, making a zero payment every month? That's a really great question. And you actually, contrary to popular belief, if you have the credit card and there's a zero balance on it, you still get credit for that each month. So it's still considered a on-time payment, you know, even if you don't swipe the card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing is, is it's, a, it's called like inactivity. So you don't want to let the card go like six or seven or however many months without making at least one swipe on it because they'll automatically close the card. But yeah, if you have that card and you have a $500 limit and then, you know, let's say you don't have anything that you need to buy that month, the following month, if you look at your credit report, it'll show a green on-time payment, you know, on that credit card. So yeah, that's a really good question because a lot of people feel like, oh, I have to swipe the card in order to get credit and you you don't have to. So we talked about some of the good habits. What are some of the worst things that you can do as a, as a young person? Well, I think Dave mentioned a good point earlier, you know, taking that ostrich approach and like kind of putting your head in the sand and acting like, oh, no, never mind. I'm just not going to pay no attention and it just will go away. (laughs) Like, I think that's the absolute worst thing that you could do when it comes to credit period is just ignoring it or acting as if, you know, you don't need it or it doesn't exist. And, you know, maybe at one point in time, you didn't have to have credit um, or you could have made enough money to save up and buy certain things. But now it's kind of hard to do that. I mean, now credit is kind of the way of life. So it's like, you know, the worst thing that you can do is is act as if you don't need credit um, and just kind of take that approach. Well, I'll just save my way or I'll just, you know, whatever. And the reason I think that's kind of a bad approach is because um, what I will often oftentimes see when I was in consumer lending is, you know, people would get into a bind or they would get into a situation where they needed to come get a loan because, I mean, you can't really save for an emergency. Sometimes things come up and you don't have the money, but then they will come and be trying to get like a 5000 or $10,000 loan, but you can't do that with no credit. So, you know, my my saying would always be you can't be broke and have bad credit, but you have to if you're going to be broke, you at least got to have good credit or vice versa. You know what I mean? Like but but the goal is to have, you know, money and to have good credit, because if you do have good credit, you can at least borrow money if you you know, don't have enough saved or if you don't have enough time to save. I think like the other worst thing that you can do with your credit is like kind of how we were talking about earlier, say you do have a really good credit score and you just out getting credit just for the sake of getting credit. I think that's kind of a bad thing to do as well. You know, I mean, just because you have it, of course you want to use it, but you don't want to carelessly and recklessly use your credit. And I guess an extension of that would also be another bad thing that you could do is co-sign for people who don't qualify. 
So, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, if you've worked your way up and got an 800 credit score and then, you know, you know somebody and they're like, oh, but you know, I, I couldn't qualify. But so, but I think you can, can you help me out? And it's like, uh, I don't think you should do that. That's, <laughs> you know, that's one of those, those things you can do, but. If, yeah. If, uh, if they're a bad credit to the bank, they should be a bad credit to you as well. Bingo. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah. Think about yeah. that report card thing. Like if right. you know your friend got a bad report card, but you got a good report card, I mean, you you might not want to, you know, do all the same things that they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great point. I think um, a lot of people forget how, you know, like you said, credit is important. I mean, I mean you can't get a apartment lease, you can't get a mortgage, you can't get a car loan. So, you know, there's things, especially as you're young and and getting into the world of finance that you're going to need credit for. And, you know, even to some degree, there's jobs now that will check your credit score before you can work for them. So it's definitely something that, you know, you can't stick your hand in or your head in the mud or, you know, not just ignore it or not have one because that will potentially affect you and your ability to, um, do the things that you might want to do someday. So Mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about co-signing and that was one of my other questions, specifically as it relates to a young person. So Mm. what are your thoughts around parents co-signing for loans for their 18, 19, 20 year old college or otherwise uh, children? That's, that's a really good question. And I hate to be the person that always say, oh, well, it depends. But I think that is one of those. (laughs) That's our our favorite answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, it's like when you're talking about certain stuff, you know, you only can give general information. But, you know, when it comes to finance, it is kind of a case to case basis. You know, a lot of people, a lot of adults, one in I think the statistic is one in three adults have an error on their credit report that, you know, might in turn keep them from getting approved for a loan or something like that. So with that being the case, I would say it may be kind of hard for people to co-sign for their children because they, a lot of time, might not even qualify. You know, you know, when I think of personal experience, when I went to college and I tried to get one of the loans, I think it's like a parent plus loan or something, my, my parent couldn't qualify, you know, based on their credit. So, you know, I would say it really just depends on if you are in that financial predicament to, you know, co-sign for your kid. And then another thing I guess would be to consider, you know, five or 10 years down the line, because um, I've seen it where, you know, a guy couldn't qualify for a loan. He was coming to get a car loan and he couldn't qualify for the car loan because he had this late payment on his credit report from co-signing for his son's student loans. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, it's, it's little things like that that you might not think of, right, immediately when you're doing it. You know, you want to help your kid do what they're trying to do, but then mm-hmm. you have to also consider the fact that you're going to be on the hook for that or any errors or whatever five, 10 years down the line. So it brings to mind something that I and Nick, I think I think you've had these same conversations before, like people will people will want to buy a house it's usually a house we're talking mm-hmm. about. And it lasts like, okay, you know, we talk about 20% down in conventional mortgages and they'll say, well, but you know, I've heard I can do 0% down or I can do 5%, you know, and why don't we do that? And, and you know, we always have to say something along the lines of, yes, you can do that, but there's a reason those rules are in place. And it's not necessarily just the bank being mean. 
They're basically saying, we're not sure you can afford this house. So there's more risk. And if you've got to go get a co-signer on a loan or get, you know, some help, it doesn't mean you can't do it or you shouldn't necessarily always say no in that situation, but it's a good indicator that there's issues there we need to talk about. And I always like to tell people, if you're going to co-sign on a loan, you might as well plan on that being your loan. So (laughs) if you don't want to buy this car, or if you can't afford to buy this car, then you shouldn't be co-signing. Right. Because you're, yeah, you're taking that legal obligation. And, you know, and again, you know, comparing it to other conversations we have, it's, it's you know, I'm going to loan my son money or I'm going to, you know, and we always tell them kind of an analogy to that is we always say, you know, be ready to treat it as a gift instead of a loan, unless you're going to, you know, go through all the, all the formal hoops of making it a loan. Tread with caution, but you're right. It's, it's a case by case basis for sure. And, you know, nothing is, is cut in stone. But so another question I had for you, what about adding your child as an authorized user on a credit card? Will that help improve their score? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That actually will help, you know, them improve their credit. And the good thing is if a person puts their child on their credit as an authorized user, to me, that is a sign of a financially responsible parent who you know, has already been teaching their kid like financial, personal finance things because it can improve their credit. And when you look at your credit report, you know, there's different codes and stuff that you'll be able to see that shows that you're an authorized user, but it will help them in the sense of, okay, you know, they're coming out into the world at 18. They don't have a zero score. You know, they might have a a 600 or 700, whatever that, that looks like. But the downside of it is, you know, is if maybe you run that balance up a little too much or whatever, you know, then that'll conversely affect your child's credit. But but again, they'll be able to see that it's an authorized user. So they'll be able to maybe make changes or certain exceptions based on that. But I do think that it is a good thing and it is a helpful thing to start teaching your kid um, about you know, before they're 18. So that way they turn 18 and they kind of already have an understanding of how credit cards work. And then they can go out there and get their own credit card and they'll, you know, kind of understand how to use it or, you know, what's the interest rate, what's the minimum payment, those type of things. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I guess we could go back to that last question too, around co-signing as an authorized user, you know, if they do use the uh, <laughs> credit card, right. parent, you're on the hook for that. So well, it's not fraud if you give someone an authorization to have their own credit card. So. Yeah, you've got no recourse. <laughs> but you're also going to have that monthly statement with, you know, yeah. exactly what's been done. So there's yep. a little bit of uh, control there, I guess. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and I think the good thing about the co- um, authorized user versus a co-signer is, like you said, as the parent, you still ultimately have control because they're an authorized mm. user, but you're going to be on the hook for the bill. Um, whereas, a, as a co-signer, you're on the hook for the bill or or any like legal responsibility of that. You know, so it's a good thing to you know have your kid on there as a co or as an authorized user, but you know it might not always be a good thing to co-sign for your kid. Well, I mean, if you're co-signing for your kids and they make a late payment, you might not know about it. But your credit score will know about it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. With the the authorized 
user, then you've still got some month to month control and yes. some visibility into what's going on. Still use with caution, I think, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's say things go wrong for you. What do you? What is the some of your tips and tricks for the best way to build back credit? That's a good one um, because you know a lot of the time, uh, what I what I think of, and this probably won't be any of the you know, um, young people building credit or just starting off, but bankruptcy, like when people bounce back, try to bounce back from bankruptcy, the number one mistake I would see people make is going out and applying for a bunch of credit to try to build their credit back up. And I think that that is so counterproductive. If you just got out of a bankruptcy or, you know, if your credit was flawed and you're trying to build it back up, it's, it's almost kind of like when you first starting off with credit, you know, do your research, because I think a lot of the time people get into credit predicaments because they don't know, you know, they, they weren't educated and they just was taking what was being thrown to them. So if you're trying to build your credit back, my main advice would be to kind of like the same with if you're an 18 year old building your credit for the first time, do your research and understand, first of all, how does all this stuff work? Um, But more so, you know, if you're trying to rebuild your credit, try to understand, because a lot of time I don't think we understand that it's emotion tied into our spending and, and into our financial decisions. So try to, you know, focus on how you got in that position in the first place and try to avoid the things that you did the first time. If you're trying to build your credit back, you know, get a small credit card, kind of like I said for the young people. If you if you need a small credit card, get a $500 credit card. Don't go to Macy's and get the credit card because they offered it for 20% off. Go to your bank or your credit union and, you know, the, the place that you have your direct deposit, the place that you already have a relationship with. Ask them for a small, you know, credit card so you can you know, start that payment history. If you can't qualify for a regular $500 credit card because you just got out of a bankruptcy, maybe you need to ask them for a secured credit card so you can at least start that payment history. Uh, in, in like the situation where your credit might be deemed, I don't think that necessarily all of the, all of the time a, a person will have all of their accounts negative or zeroed out. But so if that's the case, you know, maybe if you still have a car or, you know, a house or something where you do have some on-time payment history, you know, make sure you try to keep those accounts good because that'll, you know, help you not start all the way back from zero. But, you know, unfortunately, if you do have to start all the way back from zero, my best um, advice would be to go to your bank or your credit union, ask for a small credit card and start establishing that one-time pay history and then try to, you know, focus on what you did wrong the first time so you can steer clear of that and just do your research on how to build credit, how to understand credit. Just, you know, make sure you understand really how it all works so you don't end up back in that same position. I really like that. And I like it because I think it, it, it also recognizes the fact that, you know, the world of credit, I don't don't want to say takes advantage of, I don't think that's quite the right word, but you know, they're expecting that you're going to borrow money and not be able to pay it all off at the end of every month. You know, that's how they make their money and not everyone psychologically not only financially, but psychologically can deal with not 
carrying a balance and running into those problems. And if you think about it in terms of what got me into this situation in the first place that I'm trying to rebuild from and start from there, maybe the answer is you really shouldn't have credit card in your wallet, you know, and just recognize that. The other thing it brings to mind is, you know, Nick and I never get through a podcast without mentioning budgeting, but you know, that that all that's all part and parcel of this, you know, and being able to make the if you put something on your credit card, you still have to budget for that. You mm-hmm. still have to say, you know, I'm going to spend two hundred dollars in gas this month, whether you put it on your credit card or pay it in cash out of your wallet. It still is two hundred dollars, right? <laughs> so, and it will be more if you don't pay it. So, you know, I, I like that. It's it's about creating those habits. Yeah, like you know, I always would say because I would always hear. Credit cards got me in trouble. Credit cards, credit cards. It was credit cards that ruined my credit. And I would always push back and say, no, it wasn't the credit cards. It was your lack of discipline, you know? And, you know, I mean, people might not want to hear that, but that's honestly just what it is. And that's why, like you said, psychologically, and I say emotionally, those Mm -hmm. things factor into our decision because, you know, maybe you were feeling stressed or feeling something and it caused you to go out and impulsively spend money that you didn't Mm -hmm. have. So it wasn't the credit card that did it. It was your lack of discipline or your emotions or whatever was going on that triggered you to go spend money that you didn't have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so very true. So uh, Khadijah, uh, first and foremost, thank you for coming on today. I know I learned a lot and yeah, this has been great. Thanks for for our clients and listeners. So we appreciate you coming out. And um, if people did want to get a hold of you and seek you out, what is the best way for them to do that? Yes. So the best way. Okay. So I'm kind of old school. So if you, you know, if you're old school like me, you know, you can go to my website. Um, So my website is www.stepbystepfinancialwellness.com. It's kind of long, but you know, you get the point. (laughs) And then if you are more like an Instagram or Facebook type of person, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. And the tag for that is sbs.financialwellness. So you will go to the search bar or whatever, sbs.financialwellness, and you can find me there. And, um, you know, on my social media, I like to try to put, you know, the financial education stuff up and then the website is more so just the formality, you know, just, <laughs> you know, you don't want nobody DMing you for appointments. So <laughs> I love how apparently a website is old school. Old school, I hand you a brochure. Yeah, you know, it's cool. like I, I'm like I got the website there, you know, for formality, but um, I don't really get too much hits on the website. People are usually hitting me up through social media, so I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I will certainly be following you on the socials, and I will be sure to have my daughter do so as well. And thank you again for joining us today. We appreciate yeah. having you. Yes, thank you guys Good for stuff. having me. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. No problem. Uh, If uh, listeners have questions about credit scores or anything else, feel free to um, shout us out at info at srbadvisors.com. Dave, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been great. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com. 
and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.